1: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
0: Hi,
2: this is Ivy Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm also the host of Moms Don't Have Time to Lose Weight... Welcome to Memoir Day of my June book blast. I'm releasing a bunch of really powerful, amazing memoir episodes today, and I really hope you enjoy them. Memoir is like my favorite literary genre. I don't know what yours is, but I love memoirs. I always learn so much, and this is part one of the memoirs I have to release in this book blast. Enjoy. Kwame Onwachi is the author of Notes from a Young Black Chef. He's the author of the adult version and also the adapted for young adults version. Kwame is the James Beard award-winning executive chef at Kith slash Kin in Washington, D.C. He was born on Long Island and raised in New York City, Nigeria, and Louisiana. Onwachi was first exposed to cooking by his mother in his family's modest Bronx apartment, and he took that spark of passion and turned it into a career. From toiling in the bowels of oil cleanup ships to working at some of the best restaurants in the world, he has seen and lived his fair share of diversity. Anwachi trained at the Culinary Institute of America and opened five restaurants before turning 30. A former Top Chef contestant, he has been named Esquire's Chef of the Year, one of Food and Wine's Best New Chefs, and a 30 Under 30 honoree by both Zagat and Forbes. And he will tell you about his film adaptation that's going on with Notes from a Young Black Chef. And by the way, this was recommended to me as a must-read by Kyle's cousin, Robbie Felice, who owns two restaurants in New Jersey, one of which, Viaggio, is like one of my favorite places ever. So if you ever find yourself in New Jersey, you have to go to Viaggio and ask for Robbie and say that Zibi sent you. FYI. Okay, enjoy this episode. Thank you, Kwame, for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to talk about Notes from a Young Black Chef. Welcome.
3: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. You
2: know, it's funny. I, <laughs> I kept going back and forth. I have both the grown-up version and the younger readers version. <laughs> and so I would like read part of it and then I would go back to the adult version. And <laughs> It's so funny. to again, so the sort of, I don't know, down and dirty, you know, vocabulary the sec- for the other one. Anyway, it was, it was really funny.
3: <laughs> awesome. It's like, it's like the kid's bop version.
2: Exactly. I have two teenagers. I have four kids, but my I was reading it out loud to, to my older kids. And anyway, they loved it. So I was trying to get them roped in, but <laughs> anyway. Well, congratulations on this memoir, which was really, really amazing. I don't know when you found time to also write this book after and remember everything as clearly as you as you did. For listeners who aren't as familiar with you, would you mind telling a little bit about what made you write this memoir to begin with? Obviously, it was such an inspiring story. But just what made you turn it into a book and take the time to even do that?
3: Well, you know, I I think everyone has a story, most importantly. And you got to put yourself out there and believe in yourself. And writing this book, I knew that it would impact people in different ways, you know, understanding a different perspective of yours, feeling validated from, you know, feelings of of oppression in different ways, giving a snapshot of what it's like to To come up and find dining or catering just in the food industry in general from a younger perspective. You know, I think chefs are changing. You know, we're multifaceted now. We're not we're not stuck in a box. So it's given me the opportunity to write books like this, to open up, you know, nail polish companies and and media companies and things like that. And I think it's special. And most importantly, I think everyone has a story to tell. And that's what this book is really, really about.
2: Well, I love like in the book how during one of your first big events, you tried to get everybody's attention and you stood up on a chair and you're like, I'm the one cooking your meal. Like, come on over here. Come here. I feel like that's what you're doing with this book. You're just like, okay, take let, let's have a little time together. This is important. Listen up. <laughs> I just love that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I remember that day so clearly. And it really, the funny part is it, it's because I needed more time to plate up my dishes for the first course. <laughs> long story. And I saw how engaged people were. And that's when I knew I, I think I had something special.
2: Wow. You write a lot about your ability to kind of go back and forth into different worlds, right? And your ability sometimes to appear, you know, very guarded and just like keep your emotions, your head down, your emotions in check. And then at other times, you know, just that you can adapt to basically any circumstance. You even had a quote, you said, my ability to slide through these two different worlds was my greatest assets in, the, in those years. Tell me a little bit about that and how your sort of ability to fit in everywhere and yet keep your most private stuff in check has helped you out in your career.
3: Yeah, you know, I think definitely being a chameleon has helped me in my lifetime. I really think that you shouldn't ever change who you are, but you should be open to other people's perspectives. And that's the way that I was able to switch through d- different worlds. Whether I was, you know, in, in the South Bronx or I was in, you know, the Upper East Side, it was really about not thinking that my perspective was the only perspective. Like really listening and and getting in tune with other people, and uh, that, that's really what what made me, you know, as successful as I am.
2: Well, it, it certainly it certainly can help with everything. And I mean, you were so open in the book about your relationship with your dad and i think that when you are in a relationship that requires you to sort of feel like you're auditioning for someone who's supposed to love you it gives you that extra sensory skill to adapt and everything can you tell me just talk a little bit more about your relationship with your dad and the sort of the abuse that you had to deal with you know even down to not, you know, after he gave you the Jeep in the in the middle of the book and in the middle of the book, in the middle of your life and how you got that Jeep and everything. And then like when you got arrested crazily that one night, which was ridiculous, how he wouldn't even like get the Jeep back. And I mean, I know that's like the, just the end of the whole thing and not such a big example compared to the things you referenced. But anyway, tell me a little about that.
3: Yeah. You know, it's something that I've kind of like grown to kind of like Forgive from afar because there's no book on parenting, you know, and also thinking about the black experience in the 80s of feeling free for the first time and also dealing with, you know, the injection of drugs into our communities, you know, from people that are supposed to be helping us like the CIA and stuff like that. It's hard to even for me to like be upset anymore, (laughs) but it doesn't make me forget, forgive to the point where I want to have a relationship But it's it's now that I have a lot of greater knowledge of, you know, what the mental capacity was of someone of color in that time frame, just doing their best. You know, it's it's part of being a human being and, and, and having some empathy with that. Now, the abuse that came from that. I think it molded me into the person that I am today. There's definitely a lot of negative things that are still with me that the trauma, but it was something that directly correlated to my craft and my industry. Because, you know, when you're in the kitchen, you have to be very focused and meticulous. You can't make any mistakes. And I wasn't allowed to make any mistakes when I was a little kid. So it just transferred over to that. And it's not a good thing, but it is a byproduct of that abuse.
2: Well, I'm really sorry that that happened to you and, you know, the chart on the wall. I mean, the whole thing. I'm just so sorry. Not that you need to hear this from me, but just as one of your bazillion readers, it broke my heart to have to read what you went through as a child. So anyway.
3: I really appreciate that. I really do. Honestly.
2: So (laughs) you got your start essentially, you know, with your mom's catering business and then on the ship. And by the way, that scene, you told it in such a visual way. I feel like I watched the movie of this whole thing sort of playing out and how you, in every instance, you just take the situation and you're like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm just going to do it. I'll figure it out once I get there. And then you do, and you, like, rise to the occasion. Do you feel like you're? that's just, like, a gift? Sort of that's just, like, innate part of your personality? Do you think that's something that can be taught?
3: No, it can be taught, but it has to become a habit first. Like, you have to, like, really practice it. I'm very free-spirited. I live my life off the wall. I go where the wind blows. So for me, it's like I'm myself no matter what. You know, I walk into, you know... Jay Z's house, and and still just be my silly self, or I walk into my grandma's house and still be my silly self. And I think when 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 you're just unapologetically you, you can roll with the punches because you know it's not gonna last. You know, a painful moment is 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 a moment that doesn't. It's not a painful eternity. So when you really think about it like that, even feelings, you know, when I'm sad, I'm like, this feeling is gonna pass. I'm gonna see something that's gonna make me laugh, you know, in the next four hours, no matter how sad I am. So when you think about that, then you start anticipating and looking for the rainbow and looking for those sunny days and then turning those rainy days into sunny days or then just appreciating those rainy days because you've been through sunny days. So I I think it's it's something that, I don't know, I, I guess it's a gift, you know, that I'm able to just like, it is what it is, shit. Let's drink. I don't know. You know, so like just have a good time all the time instead of, you know, really getting in your head and internalizing things. because it's not that serious, like however serious you think it is. No one is thinking it's that serious. And if anybody, you know, if you're ever ha- having a bad time or a bad day and, you know, someone is sees that and jumps on that kind of kicks you when you're down, I just negate those people from my life or what they were trying to do because nobody that actually cares about me would kick me while I'm down. They would pick me up. So yeah, I mean, it's it's something that you have to work on. You have to work on positivity and positive thinking every single day.
2: I feel like part of the narrative in the book was almost like the narrow escape, right? All the odds stacked against you at the beginning, not that you didn't have amazing influences like your trip to Nigeria and your grandfather and like, you know, obviously you're super bright and all the rest, but like, there were so many times in the book when you were deep into drug dealing or the moment where you turned your life around that day in the apartment and whatever where you just didn't have to like you could have just not done that obviously but you did and you you know so many other people did not or were not able to as you know turn difficult circumstances into how you have created your whole personality and your career and all the contributions and everything what does it feel like to to have been that one do you feel like there's like not that you're the only one but do you feel like there's a responsibility to like go back and help others and I don't know
3: yeah there's definitely responsibility because like my my story is unique to me I was able to get out of situations and turn my life around and build my life up. And I don't think everyone has those opportunities, you know, so I do realize that there's a bit of probably just privilege, but privilege in, in the sense of my tenacity that I keep going no matter what. And I know everyone is not wired that way. There are people with mental health issues. There are people that, have, that don't have the mental, you know, dexterity, to even push through those moments because they've been beaten down so much. You know, they've gone through worse child abuse than I have. So like, I'm never going to sit up here holier than now, but I do think it's my obligation to then reach back and help out people. And I think it all starts with mentorship. You know, Uh, it starts with, with access to information. It starts with access to different cultures. And I think with that, we can make the world a better place.
2: dot com slash moms don't have time very true now that you're now that the book is out in the world have you do people do you find that people look at you in a different way now that they know or do you feel like anything that you revealed has changed relationships in your life
3: no nothing's changed relationships i would say it's definitely strange people walk up and say like hey how's jewel i'm like how do you get my mom's name i'm like yeah. oh you know, or they talk about the school that I went to or something. It's very surreal in, in that regard. But no relationships have, have changed. If anything, they've gotten stronger. You know, me being able to tell my truth and, and my perspective of, of how, you know, my life went. But yeah, it's, it's, it's all it's all exciting. It's exciting that it's being turned into a movie. You know, that's going to be another wave when people get to see it visually.
2: Yeah, tell me the details of that. What, yeah. what can you say?
3: A twenty four is producing it. You know the company behind Moonlight and Uncut Gems and and other movies of that caliber. And Lakeith Stanfield is playing me in the movie, which is pretty cool. So yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it's really going to hit me until I'm sitting down eating popcorn, watching someone portray me. You know, on a on a giant screen. I think that and try to look like me and stuff. I think that's going to be really really interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, gosh. If you thought this was surreal, that's gonna be crazy. <laughs> I have to say, I I first heard about your book from another chef. So I feel like that's like the highest accolade. My husband's cousin is Robbie Felice, who owns this restaurant called Biagio, and he was just like, This is the greatest story ever. And what and I was reading it and I was like, Oh, this is gonna be a great movie. This is amazing. So I don't know, to have another chef sort of love it is That's
3: a stamp. That's a yeah. stamp we need. <laughs>
2: How do you feel about having to do like publicity interviews? Do you hate it? Do you like, what do you think?
3: Oh, I like it. I like it. I mean, at first it was very tough and very stiff, you know, but I think now I'm a bit more relaxed and more comfortable with my skin. You know, that's come over, come with time. It's come from failing and not giving a crap anymore. You know, I think, I think I failed in in, in, failed in the sense of the word that other people use. I don't look at it as a failure. But it's like, I had something that did not work out to the way that I wanted it to, but it taught me so much. But with that happening, it was like, screw it. I'm going to just be myself because you're going to hate me regardless for something that I have no control over. So you might as well hate me because I'm being me unapologetically. And now the interviews and all of it is just like, it's like I'm talking to a friend. Awesome.
2: Well, tell me about the nail polish. What's that about?
3: I like wearing nail polish. You know, I started because I have my nieces, I get my nieces every summer, and one time I took them to the salon, and they were like, if I can get my nails done with them. And I came out and I loved them so much. So yeah, I started this nail polish line that'll be sold everywhere soon, and yeah, pretty exciting.
2: And what about more fashion stuff? I loved your sort of, I feel like the book should have been sponsored by Prada or something like that. Maybe you could do some cross-marketing, kind of get it for sale at the checkout.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I love fashion so much. I think it's also an expression, just like I like now, it's an expression of who you are and you're able to really You know, you're able to put on a costume for a day and go out into the world and be representative of how you want to look, and I think it's fun. Clothes are really fun. Clothes are really intricate. I think they 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 carry they carry a story, just like a dish, just like a song, just like a film, and it's something that's always been prevalent in my life. I've always you know invested a lot in the way that I look.
2: Awesome. Well, you've got great glasses. Those are really thank
3: you. (laughs) Like from the 50s.
2: No, they're very cool. I was struck in the book when you, you, it was a point in your life where you were really struggling for money and you said you had gone about three years without, with your glasses being crooked because you hadn't even stopped to fix them. And, you know, now here you are with these like gorgeous glasses.
3: Uh, (laughs) Those rainy days will make you appreciate the sunny ones. So, yeah.
2: Another thing was how you realized with the cooking and I think this goes for anybody even just the most you know basic home cook that the best part was showing how much you care through your food and creating that sense of home and almost you know my husband cooks a lot and he's always like you know you can taste the love you can taste it it's different if i make this dish if you have it in a restaurant because i'm doing it with all of me tell me about how you use that in your in your life and how that's informed your sense of cooking for for everybody.
3: Yeah, well, you know, I think when a dish tells a story, it it has a soul. You're not just cooking for perfect seasoning. You're cooking to share something with someone, some nostalgia, a story, an experience. And I think, you know, you do have to cook with love and you can taste the difference. When when you're cooking for someone Mm -hmm. that you really care about, you're going to make sure everything is perfect with that. And, you know, I think you can really get to know someone on a plate. You can get to know someone's culture on a plate. It's one of the only art forms you ingest. You know, food is so poetic in that way that you can, you can even see who has been within a region based off of the food that is served. You know, if, you know, there were, you know, some sort of Asian community in, in, a, in, in an area, if there was, you know, European community in an area, based on the ingredients that are there, you can always trace back ingredients to a certain place. So I think food is beautiful. It always should tell a story. You should always put your soul into it. And if you don't, if you wouldn't serve it to the person that you love the most, don't, don't put the dish up. That's normally what I tell my cooks in the restaurant.
2: I loved your idea when you had the seven course meal of basically telling your life story through the courses. I was thinking to myself, I was like, how would I even tell my life story through the courses? Like, what would, like you've had such an interesting story and I'm like, I don't know. I live like five blocks from where I grew up. This, so I'd be so boring. I would be, it would be like cinnamon toaster. I don't even know. It's like the same stuff I've been
3: having my whole life. Hey, hey you do a, a bacon, egg and cheese course and a cinnamon toast crunch course. Yeah. And do it. I got faith in you. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's funny. So what do you eat like on a normal basis? Like what do you have for breakfast today?
3: I didn't eat breakfast today. My mom is making chitlins and I am saving my appetite to eat a big bowl of it. She is in town right now and, it is dishes and no one eats it anymore because they think it's disgusting. And I'm just like more for me. So I can't wait until it's ready. I can't wait.
2: You spoke, you wrote about your mom and with such respect, by the way, I feel like as a mom, I would only hope my kids would write about it. I feel like everything you you see her in like every way and you saw her, her struggles and you saw her gifts and you, just all of it. She was like a full-on multi dimensional person. And I feel like some people only have the sliver of their parents that they can see in relation to themselves. And that was totally not the case here.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, she's been my mentor for the past like 10 years, solid, solid, strong, like Any question I have, I go to her. You know, I didn't really have mentors in the food world. So it was like, it was more like she was trying to guide me through my life based off of like what she would have done differently. I remember even 10 years ago, this is when I first knew I could ask her a a question and she wouldn't treat me like her son. She'd treat me like her. So like, this is when the iPhone first came out, the first, very first iPhone had to be like 12 years ago, 13 years ago and i saved up for it i I had like a thousand dollars i don't know how i saved that up but i did i was like 18 years old and i was like ma i really want this phone she's like how much is it i was like i think it's like a thousand dollars all in she's like that's that's when phones work a thousand dollars you know phones at the most for 200 dollars. that was an expensive phone like a razor phone or something so she's like that's a ridiculous amount of money to spend on a phone I was like, I get it, but I have it. She was like, that's irresponsible. I was like, okay, think of it this way. If you were my age and you had no bills, no children, I, I had a job and I had a thousand dollars saved up. You had a thousand dollars saved up and you really, really wanted it. Would you get it? She was like, Absolutely, like, of course I would get it. Now that you put it that way, of course I would get it. And at that moment, I was like, I can actually come to her for advice and she wouldn't treat me like if I call my grandma and ask her if I should buy a phone but she'd like, are you kidding? You know how many meals I can cook with $1,000 and how much this, is, that, and the third? And it's like, well, I'm not in your shoes. So like, think about me and my shoes, please. I need advice from an elder. And my mom, she navigated me throughout the world. I really give her a lot of credit for the past 10 years of my life.
0: Wow.
2: That's amazing. I Love that. So you have your regular adult book. You have the younger readers book. Are you going to make a children's book, like a picture book for... <laughs>
3: I really want to actually, I really want to make a children's book, like a picture book. You know, I want to do a children's cookbook. I want to do an animated series, like a children's animated series. So yeah, I have a lot of, lot of ideas in this, in this crazy head that I want to put out into the world.
2: Awesome. And is there anything that you're actively like focused on now? So all these other things have to wait, like what's taking up most of your time?
3: Most of my time is this event called the Family Union that I'm doing I'm with Food and Wine Magazine at Salamander Resort and Spa in Virginia. And it's a, a food conference that's celebrating all the contributions of, of Black and brown people to the food industry that, that so many times go unnoticed. So, you know, I have like 47 people coming out and doing panel discussions and breakout sessions and demonstrations and events. And it's a lot of coordination. I was telling my culinary director, I was like, this is like... The only thing harder than this has been opening a restaurant. <laughs> There's so many moving parts, but it's taken up a lot of my time, but it's a lot of fun. I, I, I want it to be inaugural. So like once we get it right this first year, next year it would be a little bit easier.
2: That's awesome. I'm doing something on a much smaller scale, but I'm doing a retreat in November with like 40 participating authors and all sorts of panels and all of this stuff and rooms and assignments. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and I made the mistake of getting involved with like who, the rooms and that next thing, you know, like everyone's like, okay, well, you know, for the meals, like I keep kosher. Is there, you know, I, I have like celiac, like, da-da-da. like every, I was like, okay, hold on. Like there's so many of you. <laughs> I can't keep this all straight. Like, hold on. I'm Doing other things, so yeah,
3: yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I get it. Planning event planning is is it's a nightmare. I'm just gonna say it. It's
2: a nightmare. There's I mean, but you know it's gonna be great in the end, so it's worth it.
3: Amazing in the end. It's just getting getting to that finish line. That's that's the most important part.
2: So, do you have any advice for aspiring authors?
3: Write it down. Make it happen. That's it. Just start writing. Take it one day at a time. You know, if you want to write a memoir, I would write out the coolest points of your life or most interesting points of your life and then try to bridge them together harmoniously. But it's a it's a process. It took me two years to write this book. And it was it. That's the that's probably in in order of hard. It's restaurant is the hardest, then event, then book. So it's right up there with like hardest things you're going to do in your life. There's so many editing. I mean, I read the book probably like 37 times, you know, So it's like, and then it's cathartic, you know, you're really, you're reliving these moments that you try to like hide away and, you know, not talk about ever again, or you're reliving moments where you you can celebrate and realize that you, you, you did have an interesting life or you, you have come a long way. So I would just, you know, just start it. It's the only thing you can do is start.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I hope you go enjoy your, your mom's great meal. (laughs) I will. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to part of my June book blast. I hope you enjoy it. Come back tomorrow for more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...